12 o'clock came strong today. I like it. Yeah, you can give your... I know. So if you didn't hear last week, we're asking people... Really, we were going to start today asking people to shift out of 1030 to be able to attend 9 or 12 because we've had this crazy, really unprecedented growth at Epic in the summer. Never in our history, in the seven and a half years have we been here, have we had the kind of growth that we've experienced the last 11 weeks, as of last week at least. And so we said it was coming, and a number of you made a shift today. So um, I think there's a big reward for those of you for whom it would be convenient to be here at 1030. And the rest of you, I know, you're here at 12 all the time if you wake up. Right. Some of you are like, Ben, we need to keep growing because I need to get to that 130. Um, right now, all we have is 12 to offer you in terms of a late Sunday gathering. But we're thrilled that you are here. I want to give you um, a lot of things going on at Epic. But one date I want to give you is on September the 16th. We're going to kick off our big fall teaching series that we're calling Performer with this tagline, Living for Applause and Approval. I don't know about you, but like I'm good with having an annual performance review, but I feel like I'm having a performance review like every second of my life. Anybody else? Like, right, I'm trying to cross the street and the person gives me a look. I'm like, did I perform well or bad? Why are you looking at me like that? Uh, I was walking with my daughter, Kavita, full disclosure. By the way, you get things at 12 that 9 and 1030 never get. Uh, so just know, like, well, I'm just, this is just coming to my mind. Um, I haven't even told my wife this. So I'm walking with my daughter, Kavita. Uh, I'm an on-the-go person. I just don't sit still. You probably can't imagine that. And so I have one person in my family who will walk with me for days, and it's our daughter, Kavita. We have great conversations. So we're walking last night. This woman about ran us over, at least in my mind. And um, Kavita's like, Dad, don't say that. She had her window down. I'm like, that's why I said it. I mean, what do you, what do you mean? What, what, what do you want to do? Uh, and I'm like, and then, but then my daughter's calling me out. I'm like, wow, on the same walk. So we, we, we walked about an hour and 10 minutes. And on, on the walk back, I know that she's into kind of performing. She wants to be an actor or a singer. Like just, she told me, that she's been telling us this, this for, for a while. And I said, I think I want to be an actor and a singer too. And no kidding. She said what I knew was true, but you know, like your daughter shouldn't say this to you. She's like, dad, you're a terrible singer. I'm like, but I, I brought you into our family. What do you like? What do you mean? I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible singer. And so, yeah, my prof- I was getting graded all over that walk yesterday. I'm gonna keep walking by myself. Um, you're not allowed to come. Usually, I'm begging everyone in the house, like, leave your video games, Shauna. You don't need to do that work. Let's go for a walk. Um, anyway, so uh, life can feel like one big performance, right? Right? How you look how you did that work, what the team thought about you, what the guy thought about you, what the girl thought about you. And uh, what if, though, we could be freed from having to seek everyone else's approval in this world? And so I believe God wants to do, bring some freedom to our community and to the lives of our friends as well. And here's why I'm talking about September 16th today. It's four weeks away, as you know, but there's a lot of us in Epic Church, yourself probably included, if you're part of our church, where we think, you know, there's, there's a day out there someday, one day, that I'm going to invite my friends, neighbors, and coworkers to come to church with me. But what we've learned is one of the things we can help you out with occasionally is to build courage in you for your one day somewhere out there to become a specific day. And so September 16th is kind of what we're all going to rally around and say, hey, I'm not going to do it one day out there. I'm going to do it for this date. 
Um, every Sunday at Epic's great, but there are specific Sundays where we just try to build courage in our congregation. If you're new to the scene here at Epic, to say, "Hey, I know you've been thinking about that coworker. You you you, you knew you would want to get around to it one day, and we just want to kind of build some courage and say, let's go for it on this day." And so that day is September the 16th. We'd love for you to come. There, there's a few seats at noon. This is really fun to see noon getting so full. Thank you for making the shift today. Though we begin a different series called After This, and I'll tell you why that series. You're like, after what? Then what if I wasn't here for this. What, what, is, what is after this? Um, ha, have you ever had something in your life that you pursued with all of your heart? Yeah. Anything? And, and you don't have to, if, especially if he or she is in the room and they don't know that you're pursuing them. Like they don't know that's why you're at church today. Don't, we don't have to raise our hands right now. But has there ever in your life been anything that you went after with everything that you have? Like just think about it. Has there been anything in your life? It could be a job. It could be searching for the perfect school for your kids. It could be certainly a man or a woman. It could be moving to San Francisco. Have you ever had something where you were willing to put everything into it because it was that valuable to you? I had a thing like this happen in the summer of 2001. It was June of 2001, and my wife Shauna and I were working that summer at a camp in West Palm Beach, Florida. It's actually where Will and Bea are from. And, and Shauna and I at the time, this is really key, important detail to the, my story. We had been married for six months, so we knew everything, and um, I was a perfect husband. And, uh, and at this camp, Shauna's job was to oversee all of the mission work that happened in the greater Palm Beach area during the daytime. And I was the camp pastor, so I would be doing, with 300 teenagers at night at Palm Beach Atlantic University, what I'm doing right now with you all. I would give the message at, at night. And uh, we didn't get a lot of free time, true story, which is not so great when you've only been married six months. That's a whole different sermon or a premarital counseling session or whatever. Uh, but we did get free time one particular Tuesday afternoon in June. And I remember we went to the beach because what else are you going to do when you're in West Palm? And so we went to the beach, um, great sunshine that day. We splashed around in the ocean and then we played a little bit of volleyball and it was great. And then we had to get back to camp, shower, get cleaned up, go to dinner. And I had to speak that night. But while I was getting ready that evening, I recognized and realized that my wedding ring wasn't on my ring finger. How long have we been married? Six months. Okay. We've been married six months, and, and I'm like, have we been married long enough for me to tell her the whole truth? Like, I don't I know. Joke, guys, you should always tell the truth. <laughs> Ladies, run away from the man who won't be straight with you, yeah. right? Uh, so I realized that I don't have my wedding ring on. I, I really want to stay married. Um, we've only been married six months. She's a really gracious woman, but mm, how's this going to go? And I just tell her the truth. A novel concept. And so I, I tell her the truth, and but I, we can't go do anything about it. We have to go to dinner, and then I have to speak that night, and I'm sure I was really focused on the spiritual needs of those teenagers that night. Um, I promise I'm focused on yours right now. Uh, and, but I knew the next day I'm going to go for it. And you need to know, if you don't know this about me, I'm an eternal optimist. Like, even if there's no rational reason to be optimistic, um, I, I have optimism. And so I thought, I'm, I'm going to go there, and I do. I go to the same spot, based on what I can remember. And remember, this is on the coastline of the Atlantic Ocean, okay? Surely I'll find my ring. And uh, I decide, my first thought is this, true story, that I will find an older couple with a metal detector. Ladies, it wouldn't be you that had it, but the guy, you know, he's going to have the, somebody's going to have a metal detector. We're just going to walk up and down the coast until we find this thing. I get there and I'm like, that's a terrible idea. Then I look out at the ocean and I just surrender, to be honest. I'm like, if it fell off in the ocean yesterday, there is no way that my wedding ring is going to be found by me. You know, like it's been a long time since I was here yesterday. And 
Then I remembered that we played volleyball. So I thought to myself, I'm going to go to the volleyball court. I know we rotated around. Uh, so I was standing in very different places, but our team was always on this side. So if I'm the, the side I was facing, like we're on this side, the net's here. And so I thought, here's what I will do. Ingenious idea, I think. I, I will start on the very back row from my far right. I will draw a square. I will dig in the sand. And then if I don't find it, I will draw the next square. So I'm doing it. I'm just drawing squares. That's a pretty good idea, right? I know you probably had something better, like, Ben, there's this amazing. I don't care. Um, I'm 2001, okay? I do not have a cell phone. Just put, I know, you're like, it, it actually, that was a time where, uh, so I'm just digging. I get to the end of that first row the, to the back, and then I go left to right on the second row, square, dig, square, dig, all the way. I finish the second row. Then I go up to the third row, and I begin digging, and lo and behold, somewhere about the seventh or eighth square that I drew and started digging in, guess what I found? This guy right here. Now, some of you um, came in here today and you aren't sure if God exists, but now you are. (laughs) And he heard the prayer of a newlywed who wanted to stay married and not have to go get another ring. Now, some of you are super skeptical and you think that I bought a different ring and haven't told you or Shauna the truth. It's absolutely the truth. She inscribed some things on there that I couldn't have just gone and got a ring. Um, I guess I could have put those things on there myself. But I was willing, as I was writing this story a couple weeks ago for, for my introduction today, I literally had this moment. I was sitting at Phil's Coffee, Mission Bay, riding. I'm like, God, that's like the greatest miracle of my whole life. I mean, Jesus, then my wedding ring. Like, it, I mean, it really, I just started thinking about it. I hadn't thought about it in a long time as I was getting ready to tell the story. I thought, oh my gosh, what are the chances that I'm at the ocean on the Atlantic? Anyway, not the point, but I was willing to go after it with everything that I had. And here's what I want you to know about every one of us in this room. Every single one of us is after something. Every single one of us, the youngest and the oldest, the most spiritual and the most agnostic, we're all after something. Every single one of us is after something And if I could be honest, most of us are after some things, right? There are lots of things that I'm after and some many things that you are after. Um, It could be pleasure or wealth or success or pleasing people or protecting your children or romance or having the stock go public or beginning a company and getting the right kind of funding. It could be a million things, but every single one of us is after something. And what I want to ask you as we begin the after this series, really it's a play on words in two ways. First, I mean, what are we after? So I'm after this. I'm after this as my number one pursuit. But we're also playing on words in this way. We think it really matters when it comes to all of the things that you're after in life. We think it really matters what order those things are in. Because if we get something in the wrong place from where it actually should be, then it's going to dictate everything else about our lives. So we're after this, we're pursuing something, and we want to make sure that everything else in our life comes after the thing that should be most important. So that's what our aim is in this series. And the question I want to ask you is, what is it that you are really going after in life? What is it that you are really going after in life? And the reason I use this word really is because it won't help any of us to give the answer that we think is the right answer or should be the right answer, especially because we're in church, right? Like, so everybody knows Ben Jesus, of course. Like, what what are you after? Um, What are you really after? Like, what is the thing, and for each of us, it could be different season in, in a different season, but what is the thing you wake up that's occupying the biggest space in your heart and your mind? Where does your mind go first after coffee, right? Coffee can be the first thing we're after because you can't really make sensible decisions without it. But what is it that you're really after? 
when you find yourself lying awake at night, when you think about, I would be incredibly fulfilled and satisfied if I only, that's probably the thing that you're really after. There's a phrase that scarcely even shows up in the scriptures, but I think it's what all of scripture really is about. It only shows up twice at the most, depending on how you categorize it, maybe just once. And and it's a phrase that shows up in the New Testament to speak about someone from the Old Testament. If you're not familiar with the Bible, that's just language for Old Testament, um, really the time before Jesus comes onto the scene. New Testament talks about, right, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and then what happened as the church took off afterwards. So it's a New Testament phrase spoken about someone who lived during the Old Testament times. And um, Paul is the one who spoke it. Paul, if you don't know his story, in Acts chapter 9 in the New Testament, um, his life is radically transformed by Jesus. And he's called into spreading the message and movement of this gospel message of Christianity. And so he goes to different cities. He sets up churches. And on this particular day, he finds himself in the city of Pisidian Antioch. A lot of different Antiochs, but this one Pisidian Antioch, and he's in the synagogue, and, and the synagogue leaders that day, they do something that I'm not brave enough to do. They, they're like, does anybody have a word? That's something I'll never do preaching in San Francisco. Like, you, just, you can email me, but I'm never going to. Any, any, anybody have a word? Um, so they ask this, and Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he's like, well, if you're asking, here's a word. And he begins to tell these Jews in the synagogue that day about how God has worked throughout Jewish history. And then he gets to this part talking about how Saul was king and then David became king. Listen to what he says, Acts 13, 22. Not our main text, but I just want to, I want to start with this phrase. He says, after removing Saul, because the, the nation of Israel, they asked for a king, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. That phrase that I want us to lean into and focus in these four weeks is a man after my own heart. God making this declaration, I have found a man who's after what? He's after my own heart. What would it possibly look like to be a man or woman after God's own heart? What, what would that even look like? And I don't, you're like, Ben, for some super spiritual person? No, for you, sir, or for you, lady. What would it look like in your life to be a man or woman after God's own heart? I want to answer that question over these weeks. In fact, we're going to spend the bulk of this series talking about what you and I are after. But before we get there, I believe there's a better question that we should lead with. And it's this question. What is it that God is after? If he's a pursuer of anything, what is he pursuing? If he's on the hunt for something, what is he hunting? If he is going after something with everything in his own being, what is it he's going after? Samuel was the prophet that God used. If you know the story at all, it's that Israel asked for a king. They no longer want God to be their king. They asked for a king and God, this is crazy. Sometimes we ask for things that we shouldn't ask for and God knows we shouldn't ask for and God gives it to us. And so they get a king and this king is Saul. And eventually Saul has some major issues, right? On who he's going to worship. He, he gets a little bit jealous when he hears that he's only killed a thousand, but the song says David killed 10,000. He, he, he's a jealous man. And there comes this moment in first Samuel 13, 14, where Samuel representing God tells Saul that you're no longer going to be king and listen to the person who he describes. Samuel speaking, but now your kingdom talking to Saul will not endure. 
Listen to this. What is God after? The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul, you've been after something else. Saul, you've been pursuing your own kingdom. You've been, Saul, you've been after your own thing and you're not going to stay the king because God is seeking something else. God is after a man who's after his heart. God is seeking after people who are seeking after him. Let me give this to you again. I like the way it rolls off the tongue and I want us to lean into it. God is seeking after people who are seeking after him. Now, when I make that statement, what might come to mind first is that we are the ones who originate and we initiate the pursuit. I want to say something different about that in a moment. I don't think it's us initiating the ultimate pursuit. I believe God does the initial nudging and then we get a chance to respond. Okay, more on that in just a a little bit. But God is seeking after people who are seeking after him. It's not in my notes. It won't be on the screen. But I was thinking this morning about 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It said, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. What is he looking for? What is he looking for? So that he might find those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, this might intimidate you a little bit, so I want you to take it the right way. But when it comes to you this morning, not just the general you, right? Aren't you glad when somebody up here doing what I'm doing today, like, hey, generally you guys need to think about this. I mean you, okay? I mean like you and you and you and me. When it comes to you, God's looking for something. I hope that you came to Epic today, maybe for the first time, because you're looking for something. Hopefully you're looking for community, or even better, you're looking for God himself. I want you to know, wherever you're at in your faith journey today, God is looking for something in you and from you. He's looking for young and old, men and women, individuals and couples and families and whole church communities who will set their gaze on him and go after him with everything that they have. God wants something. He's seeking after people who are seeking after him. I'm in the middle of a, a great book right now. It's called Dirty Glory by a guy named Pete Gregg. And Pete is from England and he's a pastor, but he also started this 24-7 prayer movement. Um, I believe he's got a book called Red Moon Rising, but this is the second one called Dirty Glory. And he's talking about how these 24-7 prayer rooms are just, uh, they're seeing God do amazing things all over the world in the places we would least expect it. But about what our topic is today, Pete says this, the pursuit of the presence of God has been without exception or exaggeration, the prevailing passion and common purpose of all the saints in every generation since the time of Christ. I I love that. He's not saying this was random. It was occasional. It was only for David. It was only for spiritually elite people. He's saying when it came to doing the will of God, when you look back 2,000 years of our spiritual heritage and the Christian history that exists, the people for whom God was most pleased to do the most in and through are the people who made the presence of God and the pursuit of that presence, their prevailing passion and common purpose of their lives. He said this is for all saints in every single generation since the time of Jesus. Is it your prevailing passion? Is it mine? And again, this isn't about guilt and shame, but let's just use our imagination. What would it look like for your individual life, for the pursuit of God's presence to be your prevailing passion? Not going public with a stock. Like, Ben, can that be somewhere? It can be somewhere. It comes after this. Not getting married one day. I, I, I will pray that husband into existence. After this. Growing this church big. I would love to see our church grow big. To reach more people for the right reasons. 
But oh my goodness, to me, that's got to come after this. What if we made in our families and in our relationships and in our church, what if we made the pursuit of the presence of God the prevailing passion of our lives? And again, let that word not bring you guilt and shame. Let it bring you excitement at the possibility of this might could happen in my own life. Because I don't know about you, but we see other people's stories and we think that we have to live in the presence of God through a secondhand story, right? I love when people go, I either love or I'm really intimidated when people are like, yeah, I was praying and God, the heavens broke open. And I'm like, man, never happened to me. Um, and I love hearing other people's story, but you know what I want? I want to experience the presence of God personally, right? There's this thing in theology called the priesthood of the believer, meaning you don't have to come to some man or, or, or like me or, or, or woman who's a priest or pastor or prophet or anything else. You get direct access to God. And it's been said that we have all of God that we want. A.W. Tozer, he wrote a book in 1949 called The Pursuit of God. This is my copy. And I could commend a lot of books to you in this series, but this would be the one I would go to. It's the one that's helped me, and I've read it over and over and over again. And some of you are really pumped because you're like, oh, that's awesome, Ben. That's a thin book. It is. It is. It is. I won't talk about how weighty the matter of the book is, but 121 pages, you're like, what's the type like? It's okay. You're going to be okay. Um, you cannot have my copy, but I will help you get one if you need one. And two of the things that he has said, I want to share with you now when it comes to where does this pursuit begin? He says this, we pursue God because and only because he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to that pursuit. So, so the reason we go after God isn't because we're like, I had a bright idea. Uh-uh. He secondly says, the impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. In the epic community, we use language like this all the time. In every endeavor, there's a part for God to play and a part for us to play. We're passionate about this, and we see it all throughout the scriptures. And so when it comes to the seeking hard after God, what is God's part? God's part is to put something in us that causes us to go after him. Our part is to go after him. I can remember a day long before I started living for Christ, just a day in my bedroom, maybe fourth or fifth or sixth grade. And, and I wrote it down on a sheet of paper, a little note, a sticky note, and I put it on my dresser. And I just said, there's got to be more to life than this. And looking at the time, I didn't know what that could be. And I probably tried a lot of things. I'm not the only one, right? I'm assuming and I'm not the only one. And I just wrote, there, there must be more to this life than this. And looking back, I go, God, that was you. That was you telling me, Ben, you can't be satisfied with something that can't satisfy you. It begins with God. Well, for our main text today, and don't be nervous. You're like, how long is this sermon going to be? For our main text today, I thought, what better than to hear from the man who was a man after God's own heart? And and what better than to hear from David telling us what that passionate pursuit of his life looked like? So if you have a Bible or you've got the YouVersion app with all of our notes and text up there, Psalm 63. And I want to ask you to stand with me as I read verses 1 through 8. And again, as you hear David, this might be a little intense if you're like, Ben, I don't really do the spiritual thing. Um, Know that what's available here and what his experience is, it's actually available for all of us. This isn't just, oh man, at some time in history, people could know God like this and pursue him. It's in our time in history. Guys, it's in our generation. Unless God's removed his presence for good, which he hasn't, then you and I still have an opportunity to live this out. So here's the man after God's own heart telling us what that looked like. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. 
Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You may be seated. David is in a wilderness or a desert. And what this means is he's on the run, and um, you, can, you can figure out later who he's on the run from, but uh, he's on the run, which means he, he, he can't access the temple. Like he, he's not going into the sanctuary that we just read about. Like he, he, he doesn't have the opportunity. In our context, we would say he's been cut off from the Sunday gathering. Okay, that's how we like talk about it. If, if you, for whatever reason, could, you couldn't, like you were on the run and no, people were looking for you, you couldn't come here. And so he's in the desert and you can imagine this is a time where David could occupy himself with all of his concerns and worries. But the thing he's mostly concerned about is getting into the presence of God. And what I love about David is that he makes this his aim consistently throughout his life. Look at the kind of words he uses in verse 1. He's like, um, I'm earnestly seeking. I'm not just seeking. I am earnestly seeking. He's like, I thirst. Now, he's in the desert, so he's physically thirsty. But he means I'm spiritually thirsty as well. And then he says, my entire being longs for this. And some of you are like, Ben, I just can't use that kind of language. Like some of you are like, Ben, I might use that as a pickup line this week, but not when it comes to my spiritual life. Don't go there. All right. But he longs for God. And you need to know that for David, this wasn't an occasional practice. This was the consistent habitual practice of his life. I I want you to notice that in the psalm, most of it is in the present tense. Does everybody see that? Most of it is about here's where I'm at right now. I long, I seek, I thirst. I remember you on my bed. I lift my hands up. Present tense, present tense, present tense. But he does past tense a little bit and he does future tense. And I want to make sure you get those because you'll see that this was the habitual practice of his life. In verse 2, he uses past tense verbs. He says, I have seen you in the sanctuary, past tense. And I have beheld, past tense, your glory and your power. I've seen you and I've beheld you. What he's saying is the reason I'm seeking you today is because I sought you before and I found you. Some of us aren't seeking hard after God today because we've never had that initial experience. And so it's not wet our appetite for our present reality. He's like, I've seen you and I've beheld you. And then look at verse four. I believe he says, I will praise you. How long? As long as I. Anybody? Verse four. As long as I live. So remember, the psalm is mostly present tense, but he uses past tense. I've seen you. I beheld you. I know what it's like. That's why I'm coming after you now. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, I will make this my habitual practice. You see, for David, it wasn't occasional. It was habitual. It was consistent. It was a practice. It wasn't a Sunday thing only. It wasn't a when I feel like it thing only. It wasn't a, oh my gosh, I'm in the desert. Now I'll act like there's a God and pray to him only. I am in this and I'm going to passionately pursue him always. Psalm 105, that initially in the Psalms, it doesn't get attributed to any specific writer. But later in the scriptures, the first 15 verses get attributed to who? David. It's always, that's always a good guess. And if you're in the Psalms, Jesus, every other question, but David, if you're in the Psalms and in Psalm 105, verse four, he says, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face. Give me that word. Always, always. 
He made this the habit. Now, before any of us start thinking, oh my gosh, David was perfect. No, no, no. Even if you're not a church person, you know there was a particular day where he passionately pursued something other than God. Everybody everybody know the one, the naked woman, bath, should have been out at war. Okay? So he didn't get it right every moment or every day. But still, even as the scriptures look back on his life, they declare this man was a man who was passionately pursuing the presence of God. God's not expecting perfection from us. In fact, some of us aren't willing to pursue the presence of God because we think the thing that we did, Jesus didn't actually pay for, so we stay far away. And if you want to know, what do I do, Ben, when I blow it? What do I do when I passionately pursue things that aren't God and act and treat them like they are God? What do I do at that moment? You turn to Psalm 51 and you look at David's pattern. God against you, you only have a sin and done what is wrong in your sight. Wash me, cleanse me, and then I will move forward and tell people about your ways. You don't stay away. Jesus died for you to come close. We confess, we repent, we turn from, we turn to, and we keep moving forward. Because that moment from your past doesn't have to dictate your future. But if you never go for the presence of God because of your past, it is dictating your present and your future. I feel like I'm ready to preach at noon. I don't know. Like, man, I don't have my sneakers on. I'm going to calm down for those of you like, Ben, I don't know. You and David, a little intense. As he moves throughout this psalm, In verse 4, he says, In your name I will lift up my hands. Now some of you, you've come into Epic or maybe a church like Epic, and you're like, what is this new phenomenon with people lifting their hands during music? Um, It's an ancient phenomenon. And you're like, oh, okay, that's good to know, Ben, but uh, I'm not expressive in my worship. I saw the video of you at the ball game. And T-Swift, I saw that one too. I've heard that when you and your company ship a new product, you kind of do the same thing. We did it. No, man, I'm at church. I don't worship. You worship. Every one of us is after something. We all are also worshiping something. Every one of us. And whatever we worship, it's because we esteem that thing or that person as the ultimate prize and value in all of life. And so we're willing to seek after that with everything that we have. All he's saying there is, here's my, I'm moving into a posture of worship, even though I'm in the desert, even though I'm not the place that I wish I was, right? As well with my soul. I'm going for it. I'm going for you. This is what I need. And guys, most of us are convinced that we need something other than the presence of God most in our lives. Most of us are convinced, myself included, that what I need most is for my kids to get into the right school. Most of us are convinced that what our church needs most is this new strategy, and I am a strategic thinker. What I need most is for my business to really take off. I hope it goes well. But what I want to convince you, the thing that you should be after most and let everything else be after that is the pursuit of the presence of God as the prevailing passion for your life and for our church. I had a chance to pray with my kids last night. It's something that we do every night. And no, I don't do that because I'm a pastor. I do it because I want God's presence in their life, okay? And we say to each of them, it's like, what do you want me to pray for? And with school starting uh, tomorrow for our three younger kids, you know, it's, it's stuff around school, like anxiety and peace. I mean, against anxiety. They, they weren't praying for anxiety. They had it. <laughs> God, would you please make them anxious? Because they can't be anxious. On... No, we're, we're praying for peace, right? Out, out of their anxious situation. And we're praying for friendship. And, and uh, what, what my kids know 
And what I struggle with, but have to keep leaning into is I want so many good things. I'm going to fight like, you know what, to make sure my kids have a great life. I am. I'm going to fight like, you know what, to make sure they get into the right colleges. I'm going to ask you who came from the great colleges that I didn't to write a letter on their behalf. Just know that's coming. All right. We're four years away. We're going to get there. Uh, I'll do, I'll, I'll do whatever I can, but I will tell them because I honestly believe what I want most for them and what I want most for you and what I want most for me. I believe the presence of God will be the greatest distinction you can have over your life. The presence of God will do for you what a university degree from Stanford will never do. The presence of God will do for you what $50 million in funding will not do for you this week. The presence of God will do for you what no amazingly beautiful woman or this incredibly strong and handsome man can do for you. And what I want to do right now is is just step away from some spiritual thought for a moment. And some of you are like, Ben, yes. Like, give us something besides the spiritual stuff. Uh, two things I want to say if that's what you're asking for. Number one, this is a church. <laughs> Number two, let me just give you a logical question. Just logic. Let's not even go spiritual for this moment. I think God uses logic. Can the thing you're asking to do everything for you actually do what you're asking it to do? If so, give your life to it. Just logic here. Can he or she do what you're asking them to do? Can that success margin or level do what you're asking it to do? For me, if I'm in the wrong zone on today's topic, Ben, if you have a thousand people at Epic one day, will that be, will that be satisfying for everything you need? If 2,000, right? Ben, if your kids get into this college and you actually don't have to start driving Uber and Lyft to pay for the college, like, will that be sufficient for you? Can it do what you're asking it to do? Could it be possible that you're asking a job or a man or a woman or wealth or anything else to hold the weight of being your God, something they are incapable of doing, even if they're the very best? Can it do what you're asking it to do? In verse 5, he says, I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. David's imagining being at the very best and most incredible banquet or feast and having the best delicacies offered and going, this is what your presence is like. I have everything I need when I'm here, and I'm overwhelmed that this would be set before me. Here's what's true for all of us. All of us are willing to seek earnestly after what we believe will fully satisfy us. All of us are willing to seek earnestly after whatever we believe will fully satisfy us. It reminds me of what St. Augustine said in his work, Confessions. You have made us, he said to God, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. A prayer I'm going to pray for you before we leave today that won't make you really happy with me, perhaps, is that God will make you restless until you realize that the thing you should be after most is him. You're like, did you say miserable? No, don't put that on Twitter. I didn't say miserable. I said restless. And here's why it's a gift to you and I when God allows us to be restless, when we set our hearts on anything else. Because if he allowed us to be satisfied with something less than himself, we would miss everything. We'd miss it all. David goes on. He says, on my bed, I remember you through the watches of the night. In verse 8, he says, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, God, I'm not going to let go of you, and I'm confident you won't let go of me. 
I'm, I'm clinging to you. And that literal word is to follow hard after or allow no space between you and whoever it is you say you're clinging to. And then he's like, and God, you've got me. I've got you and you've got me. Now, why don't we seek God like David did or, or the four or five of you who did this perfectly? Why, the rest of us. Why don't we seek God like David did? I think a few reasons. One, I, I, I think um, we don't believe about God what David believed about God. Number two, I think we just haven't ever experienced God's presence in this way, so we can't really talk about it. Um, it it's like if, if, if I go to a restaurant and um, I come back and tell you it's amazing, like you can't really talk about how amazing it is until you try it, right? And you'll doubt whether or not it's true. Um, uh, case in point, how many of you have had your lives change um, by the special breakfast sandwich at Devil's Teeth Bakery? Anybody? Just hands high. All right? Yep. That's, keep them high. Um, for the rest of you, now you have to decide if you're going to believe us. 40th and Noriega, I think, somewhere like that. It's just, you're like, some of you, some of you, this is, again, you'll see the analogy. Just, some of you are like, oh, how good can a breakfast sandwich be? Go try it. Go try it. You're like, I don't do gluten. Well, you will. You will. Manny, I'm trying not to hurt you. I know we've got to keep you healed up over here. But it's the same thing. Some of us, it, it, it's not that we wouldn't want that experience with a God. We just don't know about that because we've never had it. And what David, he also authored Psalm 34, and in verse 8, he said, Just taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't have to believe me about the breakfast sandwich, but drive out near the ocean. He's going, taste and see. If you, if you get in on this, then you'll understand while I'm longing and thirsting and earnestly seeking it. You'll understand that even though I'm going to be the king, it's not enough for me to be the king. I need something better than kingship. So he presses on with his life. And I think sometimes we don't seek God like he did because um, we aren't sure we're going to find him in the end. That's where I love the promise from God by way of the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 13, where he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Not casually, not occasionally. I'm not looking for one of your 168 hours on a Sunday. That won't be enough. But with everything that you have, run after him. With all that you and I have. Now, what makes me think that God will actually respond to us if we seek him? I think the scriptures are filled with that and my own experience is filled with that. And there are men and women all over this room who could tell you about a season in their life when they set their heart to seek God and they found him sometimes in really obvious ways and sometimes in crazy ways. Well, what does this practically look like? Let me um, take the pastor hat off for a second and just tell you what this looks like in my personal life. I don't think I've got a market on seeking God. Um, it just, based on my personality, what I've discovered, let me just tell you what, it, for Shauna and I, or just say for me, I will not bring her into this. Um, for me, it means getting up early enough to give space to seeking God before I have to seek where the waffles are for my kids. Okay? It, it means that I'm up early enough now, um, I've worked out a deal with God where I know that in this message series, I'm telling you, you should have nothing before God. Um, but God and I are cool with coffee actually being before or, or just so that I can understand what you're saying, Lord. You know how this works. You created this. It came, it came from the ground. Um, and so if I get some, I can hear you better. Um, otherwise, I won't hear you at all. So start with coffee. That's OK. And then I just sit in silence for a bit. 
In fact, it's a little bit humorous. Sean and I light a candle. She's got her chair. I've got mine. But we know at some time we're going to want to get our journals out, which requires us to turn the lamp on. And we're just always wondering who's going to go first. Like, I don't want to mess up her thing with God. You know what I mean? Like, you know, lights mess up everything, right? Uh, but eventually we do that. And we're, we're, I'm getting into the scriptures. I'm, I'm, I'm also noticing where is my heart wanting to run after something else, Right? I've got these hires to make at Epic Church. I want to just get consumed with that. Uh, I, I, you know, those kind of things. What, 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 am, what am I nervous about with my kids? What, what am I trying to lead them in? And, and am, I, am I pointing them in a the direction that God wants for them? And, and then throughout the day, just going, hey, if I were seeking God, how would I make this decision? And then seek God before making the decision. I, uh, just a little over a week ago, I had a strategy meeting with Will and Lindsay, and we were talking about what we're going to do for this fall because we've seen just an influx of hundreds of new people this summer. And um, I went right into strategy mode. And you need to know, I love strategy mode. We could do this. Here's the whiteboard. Because it's not a strategy if it's not on the whiteboard. So I'm on. We could do this, guys. And we could do that. And, uh, and then uh, as I thought about it that night, uh, literally, I'm about to go to sleep. And I sent the two of them an email just apologizing for not seeking God first. It wasn't that the wisdom I thought we came up with was bad. I just want to get this right in my life. So I just want to confess that. Like that but that's what it looked like. You go, God, I, I don't just want um, what the book says to do. I don't just want to do what we've done in the past in these moments at Epic. I don't even want to do what I think is a brilliant idea. God, I want to do what you want to do. What would it look like for you and I to seek God? And today, I want to pray that God would begin to stir this up in us. Um, let's not get consumed with how far we are from having the pursuit of God be the prevailing passion of our lives. Let's just start making a step. For some of you, that step is, here's all you need to do today. God, I don't desire you in this way, but I want to desire to desire you. Let's just start there. Others of you, it's going back and remembering, I've seen you, I've beheld you. Others of you are in a hard time singing it as well with with my soul. And you're thinking, okay, God, I want to resolve like David did. I'm going to praise you as long as I live, even if I don't get the job. Even if I never get the marriage, even if I, we, we, we never see success as a company, whatever the case may be, God, I just want, I want you. I want you. And I believe what we'll find is God being faithful. So I want to pray that. But I also want to let you know we're going to celebrate communion in this response time. After I pray, there will be a station here and then one on the ground and then about two-thirds of the way back on that side. Where if you're a Christian, we're just going to come to the table and say, um, Jesus, we're taking your body, the, the bread that represents your body. As we dip it into the cup representing the forgiveness of sins that Jesus paid for us. I want you to think about this today. If you aren't sure if God's going to give you his presence when you seek him with all of your heart, I want to remind you that God has already given you what was most costly to him and most valuable, valuable to you. Paul said it this way in that great chapter of Romans 8, verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I don't think his presence will be kept out of all things. He's wanting to be sought after. And he's looking, he's looking, he's looking for men and women, and maybe even entire church community that makes the pursuit of the presence of God their prevailing passion. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that your spirit is alive and it is empowering us in this moment. And I pray that it would sink the truths of today deep into us. God, all over this room, we're maybe at different places. And so we need you to meet us where we are. God, some just need to go, God, help me to desire this. Others need to say, God, I forgot. God, some of us need to go, God, I've made this other thing my number one prevailing passion. And I need to go, That's, that can't do for me what I'm asking it to do. So let me make you and your presence and your favor for my life what I'm after most. God, could we become 
God, could we become like David? Could we become men and women after your own heart? God, as you look into our hearts this morning, find us faithful to be who you've called us to be, to go after what you've called us to go after. God, would you help us know that what we read today, it's not just for superstars like David. It's for every person. God, I... I want a lot of things in this season. I assume I'm not alone. As kids go back to school tomorrow, as, as friends have health issues, as, as friends are starting new jobs, God, I want so much good. God, I want my kids to find friendships. God, I want our church to have the right strategy and, and staff team moving forward. God, what we need most, and what I long for most is your presence, your active presence in the midst of everything we're up to. God, keep spurring us on. Even when we feel like we haven't got to where we need to be, God, would you press us on, God, to seek you with all of our hearts that we might find you waiting? God, may this be the great distinction over our lives and our church, our families. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to stand. They're going to lead us. The table's open, and you're ready to be served by our leaders.